0: For those of you that are here for the first time, uh, my name is Brad, I'm also one of the pastors here. And uh, as I mentioned, we're we're entering into the Advent season. And, and the word Advent really speaks to the anticipation or the hope or the expectation that we have moving towards the celebration of the birth of Christ. And uh, also, as Lane mentioned, there are four, four themes to Advent, there's hope, There's joy, there's peace, and there's love, and we're going to talk about each one of those over the next several weeks, but today I really want to talk about hope, and when we talk about hope or when we see an image of hope like the one that we just watched, it's impossible to think of it without also thinking about the word anticipation. Um, There is something about hope that is deeply connected to anticipation. Am I right? There's like some sort of integration of those two words. If you have hope, you also have some sort of anticipation. And anticipation is always about that moment before the moment, right? It's always the feelings you have before something's about to take place. If there's something beautiful or wonderful taking place, it's going to happen. It's that moment right before it. The feelings of anticipation that you get are the feelings that are associated with Advent. Anticipation is what keeps children from going to sleep at night the night before Christmas, right? Uh, anticipation is what parents have when they're sort of wrapping the gifts and stuffing the stockings. It's those feelings of knowing this is going to be good. Anticipation, um, even outside of Christmas, is associated with other things. For instance, birth, right? There's a little bit of anticipation when you're when you're pregnant, right, ladies? I, I remember when, uh, when we were pregnant with our oldest daughter. By the way, you notice I just said, uh, we were pregnant. I don't know why guys always do that. Why do we say we? It's, it wasn't me. It was her. But we were pregnant, and... Uh, And I remember we were pregnant with our oldest daughter, and I remember just that deep sense of anticipation in the weeks before her due date. I remember just like knowing, I didn't know what was gonna happen, but I knew it was gonna be good, right? Like I didn't know what the outcome would be. I didn't have any clue what it would be like to raise children, but I knew that this was going to be good, at least until she turned into her teen years. And, uh, and then I thought maybe things would change. But anticipation is always this feeling that we get knowing that something good is about to happen. When we begin to open the pages of the story of Jesus and the birth of Christ, and we begin to look at this Advent season, it's impossible to not see that again, anticipation revolves around birth. Although for most of us, we think about the birth of Jesus. When we open up the gospel story, we think, well, the, the story begins with his birth. The reality is when you look at the gospel of Luke, it begins with the birth of another child. And I want us to just look at that story for a brief moment, and then we're going to look at a few other people who are experiencing anticipation around birth. Um, in the book of Luke, there's the story of an individual named Zechariah. Zechariah He's married to a woman named Elizabeth. They're a wonderful couple, but they're also a couple who were unable to have children. And uh, and one day he's at work, and this angel appears to him. The angel says to him the first thing that every angel says to everybody, and that is, do not be afraid, right? That's like Angelology 101, right? When they go to school, they're like, hey, whenever you show up, tell people not to be afraid, right? if you don't, they're not going to hear a word you say. So he shows up and he says, don't be afraid. And then he says, you're going to have this child. And this child is going to speak of things that are going to come in another child. And as Zechariah, for very obvious reasons, because of his age and their own personal experience, he sort of doubted the angel. Then he found out who the angel was. And we read this in verse 19 of Luke 1. It says, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. By the way, this is where the angel drops the mic on him. <laughs> I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, that appointed time idea, we're going to come back to that later, but I want you to remember that phrase. They're going to take place at an appointed time. Now, um, Zechariah hears this and actually is struck mute in this moment. It was Elizabeth's best nine months of her life, by the way. (laughs) There was no griping or complaining about anything. It was just great nine months. And then his son is born, nine months later, and his son is born, and he's he's allowed to speak. He actually, he's he's no longer mute. And the first thing that Zechariah says is recorded in verse 76 of Luke chapter 1. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High For you'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the the, the story of Jesus actually begins with a birth of this other child, this child who becomes known as John the Baptist. John the Baptist's job is to tell everybody about the things that are to come. He builds the anticipation for Jesus. Now, um, Jesus' birth is is well recorded, and I just want to read that because of this season. It's good for us to remember this story, that in verse 1 of chapter 2 of the book of Luke, it reads like this. and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, this happens. How many of you have heard this story before? Yeah, okay, a few of you. Um, This happens. At the same moment that this is taking place across the, the, the village, across the region, just a little mile, a little further away, we read this in verse 10 that, that the angel appears to a group of shepherds, and guess what he says? First thing do not be afraid, right? Shows up and says, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is, and then he says this: the Messiah. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger. We all know that part. But he the angel says uses this word, he is the Messiah. Now this word was loaded with all sorts of meaning, and for these shepherds who have been just minding their fields, this suddenly ushered them probably to a place in their childhood where they had learned in Hebrew school that someday God would send someone to rescue them out of their plight, and this person would be the Messiah. The Messiah, just that name Messiah held this whole idea of anticipation and hope. It held this idea that God has not abandoned us, and so when the angel says, to the shepherds, there is this one. Immediately, they knew. Immediately, there was this understanding that that this this hope that we've had, this anticipation that, that we've that we've held in our hearts, is now being fulfilled in the city of Bethlehem. There's anticipation. There's this knowing, this wanting, this hope that they had had for this day. And it doesn't it doesn't stop there, by the way. If you read on in the story, there's other individuals that are really interesting. Um, there's a there's a, a moment where. Um, Jesus' parents take him to the temple to dedicate him, and there's a man named Simeon. Simeon, from the time that he was born, has been, like, promised from God that there would be a day when he would see the Messiah. And so literally, every day he goes to the temple, and every day he's just sort of hoping for when he would see this Messiah, this one that everyone had waited for and wanted. In fact, um, there's this, this moment that happens where when they walk into the temple, he goes over to them, and he takes the baby out of their arms. By the way, that gets you in handcuffs today. Uh, If you grab a baby at church from somebody and you don't know them, right? You just, anyone that ever thinks about that, don't do that. Um, So, but he grabs this baby, takes it, and then he says, this is what I've been waiting for my entire life. And literally he says, now I can die. Like the bucket list has been checked, right? I finally saw the Messiah. This is the one. He's the one. There's a woman named Anna. She also sees the child. She blesses because she was waiting day after day with anticipation There's this anticipation that they had in longing for this particular moment. Which brings us back to the thing that the angel Gabriel said to John the Baptist's father when John the Baptist was being born. He he says to Zechariah, he says that the time is coming, that there is this appointed time. Now, what's really interesting about this is that the phrase appointed time, um, the word in in the Greek language that Luke uses is not the usual word for time. The, The usual word for time is the word chronos. And chronos, you kind of can think about how that gets used in our language today and how that's translated. Chronos has to do with measurable sequential time. Like there was yesterday and there's today, and then there's going to be tomorrow. That's the way we think of time, that is chronos. And when he goes to Zechariah, he says there is this appointed, not Kronos, but he says Kairos. There is an appointed Kairos. This is really interesting. This difference is, is on purpose because this difference speaks to something much larger than just there being an appointed moment in time, like a due date for this baby. He's speaking of something larger that God was doing. This is an appointed Time. Kairos means there is a unique moment taking place. Kairos is this God-infused, God-inspired moment in which something is taking place. Something special happens when there is kairos. There is something game-changing. There is something earth-shattering. There is something seismic that is taking place in a moment of kairos. Kronos is just counted by seconds, but kairos is counted by everything shifting because of this moment. This is the promise from God. This is all of the stuff that's being built around the birth of Jesus. This is all of the anticipation. And this is why these people had hope. This is why at the Advent season we talk about hope. Because the birth of Jesus is not only the fulfillment of other people's hopes, but it is the cause for our own hope living in today's day and age. I want to talk about that for just a minute. I want to talk about hope. Because... um, I think the way our culture talks and thinks about hope is very different than the biblical understanding of hope. Um, in our culture, the, the word hope is actually almost the opposite of what it means in the Bible. Let me just explain this. Um, in the Bible, hope is associated with, with assurance, right, with confidence. In the Bible, when we see that people have hope, it's usually associated with we are confident, we are assured of something. But in our culture, hope is usually associated with the lack of assurance, right? It's the lack of confidence, Why do I say this? Well, um, we use the word hope when we actually are completely uncertain about how things are gonna turn out, right? In fact, we would call hope, it's probably more like wishing if we were honest, right? (laughs) It's sort of like unconfident wishing. That 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 is what hope is in our culture. It is, we're not sure of the outcome. In fact, when you think about when you use it, you use the term, you say, well, I really hope that I get into that school. I hope my child gets into that school. I hope that I get that job. I hope that she says yes. I hope that he asks me out. I hope that I don't get fired, right? All of those things are related to outcomes that we don't know. Unpredictability. We hope and we wish for things. So our culture thinks of it this way. Do we all agree on this? You guys with me on this? But think about that kind of thinking if we inserted it into some of the biblical examples of hope. For instance, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says this. In verse 16 of chapter 1, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the wishing to which he has called you. No, it's to the hope, right? To the hope that he's called you. Is Paul praying for them to like, I I hope you have a hope that's sort of like this uncertain insecurity. Oh, he's praying that they would have security, that they would have this, this, this assurance about themselves. Or, or the book of Romans in verse 13 of chapter 15, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, right? He doesn't say, may the God of anxious wishing, <laughs> he doesn't say that, right? May he fill you with joy and peace that you may abound in uncertain guessing, right? Oh, May the God of hope give you hope so that you abound in hope, right? I want you to be hope-filled people. That understanding, a, a certainty, is a better place for us to start the conversation around hope. Real hope, real hope is based on what's true, amen? Yeah. Real hope is based on what we've already seen in the past and can now count on in the future. That's what real hope is, Hope is this life-shaping reality that is so true that it shapes our future in the days ahead, which is why there is good news of hope in the story of Christmas. Human beings, by the way, this is just true of all of us. We are hope-based beings. That is just true of us. We are hope-based creatures. In other words, um, our, our present is defined by what we believe about our future. Did you know that? You agree with this? Our future is defining our present. How you are living in the moment is defined by the way you think about what's going to happen in the days ahead. There's an influence that your understanding of your future has on how you live in this present. Let me just explain this. Um, say you have two people, and one person says, you know, I'm, I'm completely uncertain about the universe, I'm really uncertain about the universe. When I read the Bible, it doesn't make sense. I'm not really sure if there's a God that's out there. And even if you were to convince me that a God was out there, I'm still not sure that when my heart stops beating and my lungs stop breathing, I'm not sure that there's anything beyond just that moment. You have that person who thinks that way about their future. Or on the other hand, you have a person who says, yes, there's uncertainty in the universe, but there is this person of Jesus that has been revealed to me. And that person of Jesus, because of his revelation to me, has promised me and shown me that there's actually something beyond that moment when my heart stops beating and my lungs stop breathing, and that there is a God who will restore and redeem and renew, and that he's including me in all of that. There's a person who believes this, and then there's a person who believes that. Do you think that the way you think about your future will impact how you think and believe in the moment, how you live in the moment? Absolutely it will, right? If I don't believe there's anything out there, if I'm completely uncertain, that uncertainty, that sort of ambiguity, that's absolutely going to affect the way that I move through any given moment of my life. And at the same time, the certainty and the hope that I have of knowing the truth of who Jesus is also will influence me with confidence and it will strengthen me. That's why we're hope-based people, because the way you and I believe about our future, what we understand to be true about the days ahead, will impact the way that we move in this particular moment. Now, I want to give you another example of this, and this is actually um, sort of an interesting example. It's going to come from an unusual place. Um, The book of Lamentations, the Old Testament book of Lamentations, chapter 3. The writer says this in verse 20. He says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have what? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Then he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Now, the writer of Lamentations is... um, Lamenting. I don't know if you picked up on that clue. But he's in sorrow, right? And somehow in the middle of sorrow, he's finding a place of hope. He's lamenting in this moment, and yet he has hope. Now, why is he lamenting? Well, he's lamenting because the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed. The city of Jerusalem is in is in shambles. And the city of Jerusalem, for the Hebrew people, it represented God's presence with them. It, it represented God's blessing upon them. Jerusalem was, was where the good life was lived. It's where all the blessing was. And so because Jerusalem has been eliminated and taken away and it's been put to ruins, now all of their, 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 the ways they found identity, the way they knew that God was near to them, the things that they found joy in, the peace that they had, is now taken from them. And so they're lamenting because all of those things are now gone. By the way... Does that ever happen to us? Do we ever lose the things that give us identity? Do we ever lose the things that steal our peace? Do we lose the things that give us us joy? Do we lose the things that make us feel secure? Do we lose those things? Yes, we lose those things. The writer of Lamentation says, no, there's going to be moments, there will be times when your circumstances are gonna cause you to lose hope. But you will find hope in a very unusual place. Notice what he says in verse 21 again. He says, but this I call to mind and I have hope. What the writer of Lamentations is doing is revealing to us that our hope is not based on our circumstances, our hope is based on what we believe and what we think about. What do we believe? What do we think about? That actually determines our hope. This is so critical and so important because he's saying that actually means there is hope available to us no matter our circumstances, no matter how dark they may be. There is hope that we can have, that we can possess. There's this understanding that there's a future that is promised to us. So how is it made possible? This I call to mind. He's separating the steadfast love. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. He realizes he's separating this from his circumstances. That's incredibly important. But secondly, he's saying, there is this moment in which I have to put my mind on those things that I know are true and focus on those things, to dwell on those things. That is where I will experience. Basically, what he's saying is that this thing, this moment, this season that I'm in is not a reflection of God's love for me. My mind is put someplace other than my circumstances. How liberating is this, by the way? Most of the time, our circumstances dominate our thinking. We can't help but think about all the chaos. We can't help but think of the consequences. And yet the writer of Lamentations says, you know, the the circumstances are crumbling around me, but I'm going to put my mind someplace that gives me hope, and that is on the faithfulness of God in my life. You know, s- several years ago, I went fishing um, in Alaska, and um, it was sort of an ill-advised trip to begin with. But I said yes anyways. <laughs> Anyone ever done that sort of thing? You're like, I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to go anyways. It's, it, it makes for good sermon content later on. It turns out um, that's why I usually say yes. I'm just like I need something to preach about. But but I went to Alaska and. Uh, And when we landed in Ketchikan, we were going to catch a float plane to an island where we'd rented, my friend and I had rented a little national forest cabin for like $16 a day. And we were going to fish until our hands were raw and just like bring home 50 pounds of salmon, smoke it until we couldn't smoke it any longer. You know, that was just our dream of this whole trip. So we we fly to Ketchikan and we land, there's this massive storm. And when we get to the the place that's going to take us to this island, the guy says, you know, the the storm is way too bad. There's no way we can leave. Why don't you check back in a few hours? And so we drive around Ketchikan. It takes like five minutes, Uh, drive around catch again come back you know a little while later he's like you know guys we're out um why don't you show up back in the morning we show up in the morning and he goes listen there's a chance I can get you there I just don't know what this storm if I can get you out and two very rational men looked at him and said let's go so we get our gear, we load them in the plane and we fly, it's like an old de Havilland beaver, you know, the engine cranks up and we take off across and it's this glorious ride and we land in the cabin and for the next several days we fished and it was like all of our dreams coming true in this moment, until the moment when he was supposed to be back to pick us up. The moment when we had already run out of all of our food and we were ready to be picked up. By the way, the weather on the island was perfectly fine. There was no sign of a storm. Things seemed very calm where we were in this particular place. And he doesn't show up. So the first day we're waiting, we're packed up, we're sort of sitting there, kind of looking to the sky, waiting to hear the noise of that plane coming in. And there's nothing. I start to think, what if he never made it back? What if nobody knows we're out here? What if we have to eat fish for the rest of our lives, right? That's, this is, this is no, the fish no longer looks that good in this moment. We wake up the next morning, and we sit with all of our stuff packed up, ready to go, and there's nothing. A second day, stranded on an island, sounds like Gilligan's Island, I know. We start eating the fish that we've caught because it's the only food we have left, and so now we're eating all of the bounty that we planned on bringing back to our families and using it to justify this trip, right? We're eating it now, and, 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 and we're just, I'm thinking, what, what's my wife going to say when I come home with one fish? You know, this is not good. And that day comes to an end, and there's no plane. The third day we wake up, and this is where you start to really question, you know, like, God? <laughs> and it's when God also says, you could have said no and not got on the plane, right? <laughs> so about midway through the day, I'll never forget this moment, midway through the day, suddenly in the distance, I hear this low rumble of this unmistakable de Havilland engine just coming through the sky. And before I ever saw the plane, there was this hope. Has anyone else been stranded for three days on an island besides me? (laughs) A couple of you? There's a couple of you, great! There's a hope that comes up inside of you in this moment, right? There's this thing that rises up, and all of a sudden, it didn't matter. Like, at that point, I felt the emotions of being home in that moment. I felt the emotions of the future and what the reality now held for me in that moment. There was something about that that provided hope for me in that place. I I truly believe that all of us have been stranded. All of us, all of us have been stranded, every single one of us. We all know what it's like for our circumstances to turn south, for the plan to turn and take a direction that we never intended, for us to feel like we've been abandoned. All of us know what that feels like. And in those moments, we need a Kairos moment in the middle of the Chronos, right? We need something powerful to take place in the middle of the sequential time that we seem to be marking with our lives. We need God to do something. And that is why this season is so powerful for us because it gives us hope. Do you realize the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of the Christ, it is like the whir of that engine. It is like the roar of that engine coming to rescue us. In our most desperate moment, the birth of Jesus is the sound of rescue. The birth of this baby, it is the sound and the distance of survival for you and me. The birth of this child says there is a future and a hope. This is when God says to every single one of us, you're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I know you didn't want this. I know you didn't predict this. But it's going to be okay. And that is what we set our minds on, that if the God of the universe would send his son and give him to us in this way, then there is a hope like no other. Amen? Amen. That is what we think about. The God of the universe has done this. I know this season is a mixed bag for most of us. I know for a lot of us in the room, um, we come to the Christmas and season, even Thanksgiving, and um, for some of us, this season is also a, a reminder about the losses that we've had. There's a lot of us that navigate the holidays, and it's like, yeah, there's some joys, but beneath sort of the candy coating of our culture, there's also relationships that have broken. And there's kids that haven't come home. And there's loved ones that are no longer with us. It's like somehow in, in, in the holidays, yes, there's joy and there's all of this, but also embedded and interwoven, isn't there also just a lot of pain? I truly believe that's one of the reasons the Advent season is so critical and important for us. Because as real people with real pain in our lives, we need a real hope in a time like this. We need to celebrate what is ultimately true and what prevails over all of our circumstances. Are you with me in this? Yes. So would you stand with me? And I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna close by worshiping together. But I specifically wanna pray this morning for any of you who are wrestling with the the difficulty of the holidays, the struggle that comes with this. So would you pray with me? Lord, there's something about this time of year that I just think we, we recognize some of the acute, real pain That we've walked through in our lives. We lose our Jerusalem. Things that brought us joy, things that brought us identity, things that brought us peace. Sometimes this time of year, Lord, we can be reminded of all those things that that have been lost by us. Stories that didn't turn out the way we wanted them to. And yet, in the middle of that, there's a birth. the birth of a child and the birth of hope for human beings who have real lives with rough edges. Lord, this morning I pray that we would discover the hope that you offer us in your life. I pray that that hope would speak deeply into the dark corners of our souls. And I pray that that our future, that we are confident of because of you, Would redefine and reshape this moment so that no matter how bleak the circumstances, we would be people with joy. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. We offer the benediction to you this morning. May you be men and women who see the hope of your future. May you have confidence an assurance that drives away the desolation and the desperation. May you be men and women of great hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.